So this week we're continuing with our series, Wrestling with God, and we're going to wrestle a little bit today. And part of me wonders, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, of course all these things happen this morning, the weather, the, the house speakers go out, we got some lights out, you know, no bass, I don't know, everything seems to be going wrong this morning, because I think we're talking about hell, is the reason. You know, nobody, nobody likes to talk about hell, but I think we're all curious. I think we're all very curious about hell, but it's uncomfortable. So we're going to wrestle with that a little bit this morning. One quote that, that Ryan shared last week that I want to share again, just because it's kind of a, an ongoing thought for this whole series. As we wrestle with God, Ryan said, and I completely agree with this, it's so true, God is more concerned with you finding him for who he is rather than finding all the answers. We wrestle with God, we, we, just, we choose to wrestle with God for a lot of reasons, and usually it's because we want answers, but God actually doesn't really care if we know all the answers, if we have answers for everything. I mean, some answers are good, but God is ultimately concerned with us knowing him and finding him and growing with him in our relationships with him. So that is what he's concerned with, and that is ultimately my hope with this morning. I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions. Brian jokes about that. It's, it's not, not even close to going to be happening this morning. And honestly, I think you may leave with more questions than you have answers. And that's okay. That's a good thing, because as we wrestle with God on this topic, wrestling is very intimate. We, and, and if we just get all the answers, then we don't wrestle. We don't hang out with God. We don't, we don't really grow with him. So my goal this morning is to not necessarily give answers. Hopefully I will give answers. But ultimately, as we wrestle with this topic of hell, my hope is that we would grow closer to him and grow closer to his heart. So hell is a topic worth wrestling with. I don't know if you have wrestled with this in the past. I certainly have, because hell is unpleasant. It's a difficult topic. It actually is extremely offensive to many people as well. Right? It's, it's a difficult doctrine to hold on to as a Christian because we, we believe that God is love and then, okay, this whole doctrine of hell, what, how does that fit? There's a guy named Rob Bell. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he's a pretty controversial guy. He used to be a pastor and has now become primarily an author and speaker. But he wrote this, this book uh, not quite 10 years ago called Love Wins. And he, he really goes very in-depth on hell, the topic of hell. And even though he comes out with some conclusions that are a bit odd or a bit uh, different, I disagree with his conclusions, he really wrestles with God on this very deeply. And he, he captures the difficulty of this doctrine very well with his words. So I just want to share this with you. He, he writes in this book, Of the billions of people who have ever lived, will only a select number make it to a better place? And every single other person suffer in torment and punishment forever. Is this acceptable to God? Has God created millions of people over tens of thousands of years who are going to spend eternity in anguish? Can God do this or even allow this and still claim to be a loving God? Those are, those are hard words. Those are hard questions. And I love the fact that he doesn't pull punches because if we as Christians, if we want to take the Bible seriously, if we want to take Jesus seriously, we have to wrestle with this. These are good questions. Very good questions. C.S. Lewis is a guy that I'm going to be quoting a good amount today because he's helped me so much wrestle with this topic of hell. But even he says in this book, Problem of Pain, he says that there is no doctrine of Christianity that he would more willingly remove from this faith than hell. But it has the full support of Scripture and more importantly, Jesus' words himself. More specifically, Jesus himself talks about hell. And we, so we can't get around it. We can't. And I agree with Lewis. I, you know, if it were up to me, which is obviously not, 
<laughs> if it were up to me, I would toss hell out the window too. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. It's not a fun topic. It's not a fun doctrine. But we don't have that liberty. So we have to wrestle with it and figure out how does this fit? Where does this fit within our lives and our faith? So this is a topic I've wrestled with a lot. And I'm fired up to talk about hell this morning. <laughs> because I've wrestled with it so much. I've wrestled with this topic so much over the years. And honestly, it's something that I should probably be wrestling with God more on. But because I've wrestled with it so much, I, I'm excited to share with you at least some of, the, the, some of my journey and, and how I've wrestled with it, how I've been helped to think about it as well. But ultimately this morning, I'm going to be talking about three things. We're going to address three topics. And if we walk away with a better understanding in these areas, I think this morning will be a success. So I'm going to be talking about what hell really is. What is hell? You know, let's just start there. What is hell? What implications are there if hell is real? What does that even mean for us? And then third, hell isn't just a place that we hope to avoid. And I'll unpack that a little bit more down the line. So let's start. Let's just jump right in. What is hell? And what is hell? What is it even? We, we, we have a caricature in our minds. And I'm going to show a clip from The Simpsons in, in a moment. So if that bothers any of you, or if you have any you know, if you have kids that you don't want to see, you can absolutely take a step out for a second. But we're going to show a Simpsons clip because they do an incredible job capturing this caricature of what we usually think when we hear the word hell. So let's watch this. Our minds immediately go to that kind 
of place. We think of fire, we think of this like underworld place underneath the earth, we think of little red demons with pitchforks running around, uh, we think of this medieval torture devices. We, we paint this picture, and we have this caricature in our minds of what hell really is. And of course, if that's what hell is like, you know, of course people look at that and go, well, that's, that's the dumbest thing in the world. How can you believe in that? How can you believe in that? And while many of us may not have that kind of absurd caricature in our mind, it's very cartoonish and things like that, many of us have caricatures of hell in our mind. And much of the world does, too. I think that's one of the reasons why they balk at it. They recoil. Like, that's so awful. That's dumb. That's horrible. How, how does that fit with a loving God? So some caricatures are out there. We, you know, one thing that I've heard countlessly over the years is that many people view God in light of hell. They view God as this, this angry, imbalanced dictator figure that just arbitrarily decides that decent people are, for some reason, actually worthy of hell and eternal Punishment. And we tend to think that this punishment is not at all, doesn't at all fit the crime. Another caricature is, and this is something that, that can be, uh, I've heard Christians say this, but usually I hear this from non-Christians, is that many people have this general belief that as long as you do enough good, do more good than evil, then you go to heaven. As long as your good outweighs the bad in your life, then, then you go to heaven. And, and hell is a place where, where, of course, there are plenty of bad, evil people in the world, and they go there, but most people go to heaven. And that is a caricature that is actually based on our pride, because we think that we couldn't possibly deserve something as horrific as hell. We're decent people, right? We do enough good. And so when some people come out and say, okay, no, 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 no. Even, even the smallest sin makes you worthy of hell. That becomes very offensive. It becomes very offensive. But the reality is, we all deserve hell. Every single person who has ever lived deserves hell. Every single person in this room deserves hell. I deserve hell. If we take scripture seriously, that is what we're told. And we don't deserve that character. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But we deserve this thing that we call hell. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even earlier on in Romans, Paul, the, the writer, talks about how there's nobody who is righteous. Not a single person is truly righteous. And in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But, I love, I love the, the other half of this verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But ultimately, Scripture, there's, there's tons more passages that support that, but ultimately, Scripture tells us that we are all worthy of hell. Not a single person other than Jesus himself <coughs> was truly righteous. But ultimately, that's good news for us. As hard as it is to see that, that is good news, because ultimately, Jesus, in his love, God in his ultimate love for us, made a way he made a way with the cross by dying on the cross, becoming our sacrifice, dying on behalf of our sin, and giving us a way to ultimately be forgiven and have a new, renewed relationship with Jesus. He provided a way for everyone to be saved because we could not do it on our own. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. So it doesn't become about what we do. It doesn't become about getting enough good in our lives or, or, or you know, having our good outweigh the bad or doing something that, that makes us worthy of heaven, it's simply that Jesus has provided a way of, out of his love for us. And his desire is that every single person will be saved. 
But we have to begin with that, that we all deserve it. And that will make more sense as we go on and we talk and we flesh this out. But let's get this concept of hell straight. And I think that will help us to understand this. So what is hell really? It's not that caricature that we just watched. It's not, honestly, a lot of the things that we think of when we think about hell. That is not actually what hell is. So what is hell really? Let's explore this word. There's a biblical word that, that is translated as hell in the Bible. It's called Gehenna. And it's a Greek word that um, Jesus himself uses 11 times. It shows up 12 times in Scripture, but Jesus himself uses it 11 times. And it means hell, Gehenna. That's what it's translated as hell. And there's other words, but uh, this is the, the one that, that really primarily is translated as hell. So what does this mean? Gehenna, it comes from this phrase, Gehenam, which is a Hebrew phrase that simply means valley of Hinnom. So this word that is translated as hell in our Bibles is actually a place. It is a place. And what happened at some point in, in, in history, in human history, um, roughly around the time of ancient Israel, and then there's a place called the Valley of Hinnom. It was just south of Jerusalem. It's a real place. And there were pagan cults that would offer sacrifices to their gods. And what they would do is they would actually sacrifice their children by fire and burn them alive at the Valley of Hinnom. So it's horrific, right? Absolutely horrific. The Jews and, and, and God's people looked at that and said, okay, that is, that is unbelievably ungodly. That is horrible. And so this place, Valley of Hinnom, eventually became this word. They, they, they turned it into this phrase, into this word Gehenna, which means hell. They used this place to become a synonym to describe this place where ultimately the ungodly, the evil, wicked people will go to be punished in the end. So that's where we get this concept of hell, and we get this word Gehenna. So like I said, Jesus uses this word 11 times himself. One example is Matthew 5.22. This is Jesus speaking. He says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, You idiot, is answerable to the court. And anybody who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So we see an interesting passage here from Jesus himself. And this, is, this takes place in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first real sermon. And in, in this section, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus really raises the bar. I mean, you look at that, very clearly he's, he's talking about hell, and he said, okay, there's, this is a real consequence for people. You, you can be in danger of the fire of hell. And what does he say? Okay, if you call someone an idiot or a fool, then you can be in danger of that. I've called people idiots, I've called people fools, especially siblings, right? He's talking to a brother or sister. You guys have siblings, right? Your siblings get on your nerves. Jesus pulls out a very small example, a very small example of anger. If your anger causes you to tear someone down with your words, even a small way, by calling them an idiot or a fool, things, well, those are words that we throw around pretty frequently, then you are in danger of hell. Jesus is not shy away from this topic. In fact, he raises the bar saying, look, hell is a very real place, and everybody deserves it. Even the smallest things disconnect you from God and make you worthy of hell. There are plenty of other instances throughout Scripture as well where they talk about hell. Jesus talks about hell and other writers talk about hell, but they don't actually use the word. 
but it's very evident that they're talking about hell. One example of this, and you, you may have heard this, it's got some very uh, colorful language that you may have heard before. In Matthew 13, 40 through 43, Jesus says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out, of his, send out his angels, and they will lead out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a very famous phrase. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus himself, sometimes we, we like to think of Jesus as being this very passive, nice man who constantly spoke in a soft, quiet voice and constantly loved everybody. He said some really harsh words to certain people. Words that they needed to hear, of course, but, but we can't soften Jesus' words. We can't pretend like he didn't say them because Jesus himself, our Lord, our Savior, recognizes that hell is a real place. It's a real possibility for people. And I want to point this out. This may actually answer some of your questions come with questions this morning, but all throughout the Bible, especially even in the Old Testament, we see this, this image of fire ascribed to God's punishment, his, his wrath. And that even happens in the Old Testament as well. So Jesus picks up some of these, this, this imagery of this blazing furnace, um, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the fire of hell. These are, these are images. I, I personally believe that, that we shouldn't take this literally. So when we think about hell as being that underworld place with all this fire, lava, magna, you know, demon, like that, we don't need to take that literally. And I don't think we should. Because ultimately, I believe that hell is far worse than that. But we even see fire as an image for God's punishment in the Old Testament. And beyond that, there are also plenty of other passages on hell in Scripture that use different imagery that don't really seem to fit with this fire imagery. So there are other images used in scripture that, that refer to hell as being this, this eternal dark blackness of sorts. This complete darkness. This gloominess. This isolation. This place that we're completely separated from God's presence. There's other images that go with this. And so, and you can disagree with me on this, but I personally believe that that, that is meant to be imagery. I don't think that we're actually burned. I mean, not us, but I don't think people are actually burned all of eternity in hell. I think these are images meant to evoke this sense of how horrific hell really is. And I honestly believe it is much worse than actually being burned by fire. So if we really look into what hell is, I think hell is a lot of things, but if we look at what hell is at its very essence, when we really boil it down, hell is simply separation from God. Separation from God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul writes, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The hell is separation from God. And honestly, you know, that's hard to imagine. Okay, I think you tell a lot of people that that's what hell is, and they're like, okay, what's the big deal then? I think that's why this imagery is used, is to evoke this sense of how horrific it really is to be separated from God. And it's not just separation from God, because if God is the, the source of all things good, of all things love, of all things hope, of all things kindness and joy, if God is the source of all those things, then in hell we are not only completely and utterly separated from God, we are also completely separated from all of those things, all of the things that come from God. And that, that's a big deal, because even today, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's 
even today, you are not separated from God's presence. God's presence is all over the world. His goodness, his mercy, his justice is all over the place. It might not be dominant in the world, but it's all over the place. We can see it. You, know, you talk to tons of people. I mean, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. I think everybody in general loves the idea of love. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, all that really matters in life is to truly just love others. That comes from God. That idea, that sense, that yearning for love will not be there now. For justice. So, I mean, people love the idea of, of taking care of the homeless, right? Homeless shelters are incredible. And a lot of people will volunteer at homeless shelters or other charitable organizations, whether they believe in God or not, because they like that and they feel good about it. But that will not exist in hell. Because we are completely separated from God there and all things that come from Him. Many of us are concerned with the places of hell or heaven. I think that's another reason in, in this, this all fits together. That's another reason why we have such a hard time with this concept, because sometimes we're so obsessed with the place of hell or heaven. So when we think of hell, we think of the place of fire, of torment, of judgment, you know, all those things. And when we think of heaven, we think of another caricature, which might be this, this glorious palace up in the clouds with streets of gold and everyone's wearing halos and getting along and gets whatever they want. It's this big party. That's a caricature as well. We're so concerned with the place that we forget where God himself fits into that equation. Because I believe, and, and Scripture really doesn't tell us much about heaven either, but heaven is really just the pure and unadulterated presence of God. Heaven is God. We get God in heaven. That's what we get. And hell is no God. Hell is separation from God. So we can't just, just separate these places, because otherwise, like, okay, of course, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? Who wouldn't want to do that? Or who would want to go to hell? That's not the point. The point is that heaven is God. We get God in heaven. And hell is no God. So when we balk at this idea of how in the world could God send people to hell and condemn them and punish them forever, how in the world could he do that? It can still be love. Well, the reality is that if you don't want God now in this earth, in this life, you're not going to want him in the afterlife either. That is ultimately what hell is. You get what you want. You don't want God here, you don't get him in the afterlife. That's what it is. And in fact, if you don't want God here in this life, on this earth, I don't think you would even want heaven if it was an option for you. Because heaven, again, is the pure, unadulterated presence of God. You can't escape him. You can't get away from him. If you say, God, leave me alone here, heaven would be very, very, um, I guess, not ideal for you. So like I said, I was gonna, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis because he is one guy that has really helped me wrestle with, with this concept of heaven and hell. And I think he, he does a really, really good job of articulating the, the essence behind it, right? I think hell does, does involve um, some very horrific things, but ultimately it's separation from God. C.S. Lewis writes in this little novel, it's a great novel, I really encourage you to read it. It's The Great Divorce. And he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. I don't think God sends anybody to hell against their will. I don't think that at all. Because ultimately, 
We choose hell. People that go to hell choose that. They go there willfully because their entire life and their inclination is to say, God, leave me alone. I think hell is the culmination of people in a world that say to God, leave me alone. Just let me do my own thing. I don't want you. I don't need you a part of my life. That's what hell is. So no God. In the end, after God has tried everything, he pursues us endlessly at the very end. He finally gives in and says, okay, I'll leave you alone. And I don't think God says that with joy by any means or happiness or some kind of sense of, of, ha ha, you get what you deserve. I think God says that with sorrow because he loves us. The Bible tells us very clearly that God does love everyone. He desires everyone to be saved. So I think he says that with sorrow. He says, fine, try it. Did everything I could. I'll leave you alone. Another, uh, another quote from him that is really powerful. He says this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, I believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. But the gates of hell are locked on the inside. That doesn't send people to hell against their will. People choose to go there. It's natural. If you say to God, leave me alone, God's not going to force you into a relationship with him. He's not going to force you to be in his presence throughout all eternity. He'll give you what you want. So that was a lot. I want to break this down. What is hell? Let's break it down to the very essence of what hell is. Hell is a place of punishment. I think it is punishment. Not necessarily torture by, by many people, torture devices or anything like that, but it is punishment, right? It's punishment after judgment for those who have not trusted in Christ for their salvation. Because again, we all deserve it. We all deserve that because our very inclination as human beings is to say no to God. Our pride gets in the way of that relationship. But Jesus made a way. He still made a way out of his love, but we can still reject that way. We can still reject the gift of God. So for people who reject Christ and still say no thanks, they spend eternity in hell, completely separated from the presence of God. And I honestly believe, again, I said you can disagree with me on this, you can. I encourage you to wrestle with it. I think images of fire, of darkness, Loneliness, of isolation. I think all those images that we see in the Bible are images to describe the horrors of hell. But I also believe that as awful as those images are, I don't say that to soften hell. I say that to, to hopefully increase our view of how horrific hell is. Because I don't think there's any language that can really do justice to how awful it is to truly be separated from God for all eternity. So this language is strong, but I don't think it's strong enough. So that's hell, in a nutshell. <laughs> and there's so much more we can talk about, but I want to leave it at that and move on to implications. It's the second thing I told you we to talk about, because if this is real, if hell is real, and as, as Christians, as, as people who strive to follow Jesus, as people who take this word seriously, we cannot get around hell. We just can't. We can't. It's there. It's all throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said it. We just can't get around it. And if it is real, if it exists, then there's some implications. And it should affect the way we live and the way we interact with people on a day-to-day basis because, ultimately, I think one of the reasons why hell is so uncomfortable and why we ignore it or why we choose not to think about it is because of the implications. They're uncomfortable. We don't want to think of it. But if hell is real, that means that there are people there. 
If hell really exists, it means people are there. It also means that people who are alive today are going there. That is a real implication that we have to wrestle with. We can't just ignore We can't just look the other way and shove it aside. We can't. Because that is one of the key implications. And this is, again, one of, the, one of the reasons why hell has been so hard for me. Because I know if I really take time to reflect on this and wrestle with it and, and make sure that it affects the way I live and affects the way I see the world, it makes me realize that there are people in my life that I love. Family members. Close friends. That are going to hell. There are people that I've known that have passed away. I don't, I, you know, I don't think we can ever say for sure, but there's a good chance they're in hell. And that sucks. It really does. I think we can say that. We can wrestle with God. And it sucks. We care about these people, right? So to reflect on that is so uncomfortable. So we tend to try to ignore it, or justify it, or just not even think about the reality of hell. Or we just try to distract ourselves from it. Beyond that, too, it also means that we have interactions with people every single day. Every single day that are on their way to hell. If they continue that current tra trajectory that they are on, they're coming to hell. Whether there's people in the grocery store that we try to avoid eye contact with, whether there's people on the road that we see and get mad at even though we, we struggle to slow down and realize that they probably have other things going on in their lives, they have a life of their own. Whether that's other students in our schools that are jerks or that they, they gossip about us or spread rumors about us, people that we think are weird and we stay away from, we constantly come and interact with people who are going to hell. And if we ignore this, if we choose just to not think about it, we essentially say that we don't care. It's too uncomfortable. We don't care. We don't want to think about it. So if we really take this seriously, if we really move beyond just thinking about hell from this, this abstract concept and make it real for our lives every single day, it should radically change the way we view people. Radically change the way we view people on a day-to-day -day basis. And it should give us a sense of urgency because, again, like I've been saying, Jesus gave us a way. And if we know the way, if we know the way to be saved, it's simply to trust in Jesus because he's the one who made a way. And we sit on our hands and we don't tell anybody. Or if we just go on through our life as usual, as if nothing's different, then we're, again, essentially saying we don't care. We don't care what people are doing. We only care about our own lives. And that is a really hard thing to be faced with. I've wrestled with that a lot because it's, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to think about those things. But it's a reality. Jesus himself talks about it. And I also want to try to make this a little bit more real for us here and now because one other big implication of hell is if hell really exists, it's not just a place that we hope to avoid. I'm going to put that out there. I said that at the beginning. Hell is not just a place in the future that people hope to avoid. Hell also exists here and now, on earth. In the same sense, uh, Scripture tells us that if we believe in Christ, then we are automatically a new creation. We are a new creation. The new has come, the old is gone. The kingdom of heaven is here. God, Jesus himself said that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here now. 
but there's still a sense of, okay, that's it, true, but it's also not yet true. There's, there's still a day to come in the future where that'll be true, where I'll ultimately be made who are, and where the kingdom of God will ultimately come. I think the same is true with hell. We think of hell off in the distance as something that, we'll, that people may go to, but ultimately hell is also here to an extent on earth. James 3.6, I'm going to say, uh, look at this passage, because of the 12 times that that word Gehenna is used, like I said, 11 times Jesus uses it, this is the 12th. James says, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. And the fire is not a good thing. <laughs> and is set on fire by hell. In this passage, James uses this word very differently. He actually says that hell is a source of something that happens in reality on earth. And that's when, when we allow our words to tear people down, when we allow our words to, to say horrific things, then that is hell unleashing its power into the world through us, here and now. So when we gossip about our coworkers, they're being obnoxious. When we talk about people behind their back, when we start rumors, or when we uh, passively, aggressively try to manipulate people with our words, or we use our words to tear others down and make ourselves feel good about ourselves, we're literally breathing hell into the world. Hell exists here and now. And I think, you know, especially in America, so we can distract ourselves so easily. We can find a million things to set our minds on, but if we take a step back and, and get a broad picture of what is going around, what is going on around the world, there's plenty of things that we would look at and say, of course, that is hell on earth. Racism, sexism, poverty, corruption, murder, genocide. There's so many things that we look at and that, that's hell on earth. Students, I, I mean, I think about you guys because uh, I get to hang out with you most often, but cyberbullying is hell on earth. There used to be a time, some, some of the adults in the room can probably attest to this, there used to be a time where you could only be bullied the eight hours a day that you were at school. That was it. You could go home and you would have a safe haven. You have a safe place to go to be free from that. But now, because of technology constantly being connected, you can be bullied 24 hours a day. And people often take full advantage of that. I honestly believe that that is hell on earth. I mean, another example, I don't know if you've heard this or read this in the news, there's a family in California who was just arrested because they had something like 13 children of their own shackled and imprisoned in their basement, in their home, starving to death, beaten. It's a horrific set of circumstances. You, I, I read that story. I'm like, how in the world can this still exist in America? How can these things happen? There's literally hell on earth. And while these are big examples, I want to make it real for each and every one of us as well. Because as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, how do we ourselves contribute to hell on earth? How do we contribute? James used, quoted this passage to Christians to be careful of your words. Jesus himself, when he talks about hell, and I think this is something that we don't actually reflect on too much, when Jesus talks about hell in the Bible, he's talking to Jewish people, he's talking to believers, he's talking to the Pharisees. We don't get a picture of Jesus walking around to all the Gentiles saying, oh, you are all going to hell until you repent. That's not how he talks about hell. He talks about it to the religious people because he was concerned about their hearts. I'm going to look at one example. Matthew 7, 
verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? They're like, come on, of course we're, of course we know you, of course, of course we should go to heaven. And he says in response, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you who contribute to hell on earth. Without reflecting on it, without taking full account of your own life. And the point of this passage, I want to clarify this, the point of this passage is not so that we, or, or believers, should be paranoid about where we're going in the end. I think some people will read this and go, oh shoot, that means there's a, I don't even know if I'm really safe or not. That's not the point. Jesus' point in saying this to the religious people, and I think for us today, is to check our hearts. He says, okay, you, you truly claim to follow me. You truly claim to be a believer. But you're, you're doing this. You're practicing this. You're unleashing hell into the world in this way. You need to, you need to check how you speak about people behind their backs. You need to check about how you look, look the other way when you clearly see that something is happening that shouldn't. I think this passage is meant to have us check our hearts. And as Christians, we need to do the same thing. Every single time we as Christians watch something we shouldn't, we unleash hell on earth. Every time we tear someone down with our words, we contribute to hell on earth. Every time we passively, aggressively use our words to get what we want, we unleash hell on earth. Every time we cut someone off on the road or cut someone out, little things, right? It's things that we can easily justify and look at them like, oh, well, this person did this, so you know, and, and it wasn't a big deal. We can justify the little things, but we can't. We have to, if we take Jesus seriously, we have to take an account of our lives and look, okay, where am I contributing to hell on earth? And how can I better reveal the image of God to the world? Unleash his goodness into the world. How can we better do that? See, as Christians, it's too easy when it comes to this topic of hell. It's too easy to look the other way. It's way too easy to just ignore the concept of hell, to ignore that reality, to ignore the people around us. It's too easy to ignore sin in our own lives. It's too easy to ignore it or just to justify it or say, oh, you know, well, it's really not that big of a deal. Or, you know, Jesus forgives me anyways. And we don't check our habits and we don't actually try to follow him better. I want to end with this. Hell is real. We can't get around it. It really exists. And the implications are big. The big implications that we need to face, that we need to wrestle with. And it's not going to be easy. We may walk away with a limp, like Brian talked about last week. We may walk away hurting. But if we wrestle with these truths and wrestle with the heart of God, because ultimately he wants and desires everybody to be saved. He wants his kingdom to come here on earth. He doesn't want hell to spread. He wants us to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God here. But if hell is real and there are people in the way that are on the trajectory to go to hell, what are we doing about it? If we're contributing to hell on earth, what are we doing about it? How, how are we really reflecting on our lives and trying to change? How are we holding ourselves accountable? So I encourage you 
to leave this morning and go wrestle with this topic this week and beyond. This is not something we can cover in one Sunday. I'm trying a little bit, but it's not something we can cover in one week. Go spend time with Jesus alone. Pray through some of these things. Figure out what it is that God wants you to know. How does he want you to react? How does he want you to face these implications? And I also want to encourage you to wrestle with this with others. This is another reason why life groups are so important to this church, because we have to wrestle with this with each other. We don't do faith in isolation. It doesn't work well that way. So I encourage you to, to get a part of a life group or come to your life group with the things that you're wrestling with. Talk about hell. Talk about these implications. Talk about the areas that, that Jesus may be trying to confront you on and say, this needs to change. But let's wrestle with this this week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you amidst all the, the difficulties and the, the weather issues, the the technical things that weren't coming right. Uh, I thank you that you have still given us an opportunity to gather. And I thank you that, that ultimately we don't get to choose what is right and what is wrong. We don't get to choose what is true about Christianity. We don't get to choose what we get to accept or deny about your word. But I pray that you would help us to wrestle with these difficult things. Help us to wrestle with the concept of hell. And I pray ultimately that you would give us uh, an interaction, an experience with you that will draw us closer to you and to your heart. Jesus, we thank you. Ultimately, I pray that you would help us as Rock Creek Church better reflect your love and your goodness, your glory, your hope to the world around to every single person we come in contact with. Help us to reflect your heart for them. Help us to reflect the fact that you made a way for them to know you, to love you, to be truly saved, and to have a new relationship with you. Pray that this week you would really help us to wrestle with this to see what a difference it needs to make in the way that it did. And help us to not forget this. Help us to not just, just push it aside and continue, continue to ignore it. Thank you, Jesus, for your prayers and